Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to inhabit scripture a little different this morning too. And so I invite you just to sing this familiar refrain with me a couple times. Jesus, remember me. When I was in Ireland in January, we spent a day in the city of Derry, which is famous for being the only walled, remaining walled city left in Ireland and one of the finest examples of walled cities anywhere in Europe. The walls were built between 1613 and 1619 by the Irish Society, which was, despite the name, a group out of London, England, who built the walls to protect the English and Scottish settlers who had moved into the area. The walls are a kilometer and a half in circumference around the old city, and they range between 12 and 35 feet in width. In 1689, the forces of King James II, the ousted Catholic King of England, laid siege to Derry and tried to get into the walled city. But 13 apprentices, 13 workers, took the keys to the city and locked all of the gates, and James's troops were ultimately unsuccessful in their siege. To this day, the walls of Derry have never been breached. And when we think of a king and a kingdom, I think it's often this kind of an image that comes to mind, an image of a a fortress or a castle surrounded by thick walls and a moat and protected by a heavy wooden gate. A king returning to his castle is heralded by his troops, 
banners flying from the ramparts, trumpets sounding from the parapets, the gate opened wide to receive the king. Once inside, the gate slams shut again to protect those inside from the rough and potentially dangerous people on the outside. Anyone seeking entrance to the castle must prove themselves to be worthy, must prove themselves to be loyal. And that image that we have makes this second word from the cross about just as surprising as the first word. This second word is spoken by a king about his kingdom to a person who, by all accounts, should be barred entry, but for whom the gates are instead opened wide. We said last week that it was surprising that Jesus didn't first speak to or on behalf of his beloved followers, his family or his disciples, but instead speaks a word of forgiveness about those who had nailed him to the cross. And now with this second word, he still doesn't turn to his family or followers, but turns to a thief. Or rather, a thief turns towards Jesus. The Gospels tell us that Jesus is executed between two other men who are described as thieves, bandits, criminals. The word for criminal, kakurgos, literally translates to evildoer. These are men who haven't just stolen, they've likely killed. These are men who have shown a disdain for the lives of others. These aren't just casual, one-off wrongdoers. These are men who are dedicated to wrongdoing. These are hardened criminals. And one of these criminals is so hardened that even at the end, even as he hangs on a cross hours from death, he engages the world from behind his own walls of defense. Unwilling to look at himself and his own sin, he instead turns to Jesus and hurls insults at him, joining the mocking voices of the crowd. You say that you're the Messiah? Well, then show us, save yourself, and save us too while you're at it. The best defense is apparently a good offense, so this criminal takes a jab at Jesus. But on the other side of Jesus hangs a man with no defenses left to hide behind. This criminal is broken, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he is at the end of his rope, and he knows it. Don't you fear God? He asks the callous, defensive criminal. We're being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he says, nodding at Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. This man is innocent. We don't know how much either criminal knows about Jesus, Maybe they'd heard of this traveling rabbi who had caused such a stir. Maybe they witnessed part of his trial before Pilate. Maybe they just heard the rumblings and rumors as they trudged up the hill to Golgotha. But this criminal recognizes something in Jesus. Maybe it's simply that he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, 
And that is so astonishing a thing for a man to say in this situation that it has convinced the criminal of both Jesus' innocence and that he must be something greater than any ordinary man. Jesus has been nailed to the cross under a sign that reads, this is the king of the Jews. And this criminal believes those words to be true. And so, with nothing left to lose, he opens himself up wide to Jesus. In a moment of humility and vulnerability, he asks not to be saved, not to be redeemed, not to be protected, not to be avenged, not even to be forgiven, but to be remembered. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Somehow, in this moment, while they are both hanging on a cross, their agony and humiliation on display for all to see, the thief recognizes Jesus for exactly who Jesus is. John Calvin said, I don't know if there was ever, from the foundation of the world, a more rare or memorable example of faith. This thief suddenly penetrates more deeply than all the apostles upon whom the Lord himself had spent so much effort. He adores Christ as king on the gallows tree, celebrates his reign in the fearful and unspeakable loss, and proclaims him author of life in the hour of dying. Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's not even asking Jesus to take him into that kingdom with him. But that is just what Jesus will do. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not someday, not one day, not after you do some purgatorial type penance, Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Which, like Jesus' first word of forgiveness, is profoundly countercultural, even and maybe especially to us good religious folk. Because while we believe in salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, we also think that faith should look like something. Faith without works is dead, after all. There should be some living out of that faith, some proof that you have actually received the good news and are changed because of it. Some proof that you understand what it even means to believe in Jesus. Only the criminal hanging next to Jesus doesn't have the time or ability to live a new life of faith in Jesus Christ. Scott Jose writes, This thief, he doesn't get baptized. He doesn't receive communion. He cannot go out and turn his life around and turn over a new leaf and reform himself. He is nailed, literally, to a cross. He cannot move his hands and his feet, but he can turn his head and look at Jesus and say, Lord, remember me, and that is enough. 
That is enough, even if you don't understand all the dynamics, you can't spout a lot of scripture even. If you can turn to Jesus and say, Lord, remember me, that is enough. We were talking about this at our profession of faith class last week. Will a person who has lived their whole life running away from God and then finally turns back to God on their deathbed be saved? Or, someone asked, what about a person who has lived their whole life in a remote part of the world and they've never heard about Jesus? What happens then? Will they come face to face with Jesus after they die? What does grace look like for them? In the last book of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, titled The Last Battle, a calorimine soldier named Emeth, who is an enemy of Narnia, finds himself standing before a stable door. And Emeth is a follower of the god Tash and has been his entire life. And he has been promised that Tash is inside the stable, and so, trembling, he enters the dark stable. Only it isn't dark inside the stable. It isn't even a stable. Emmeth finds himself standing in a, a sunny meadow full of vivid colors and rustling grasses and bright, dazzling sunlight. He walks a ways, and then he comes face to face with a lion that he knows instinctively to be Aslan, Lord of Narnia. And Emmeth knows instinctively that Aslan is the only true king. Recognizing this, he falls to his knees in terror, sure that his end is near. But Aslan bends down his head, licks Emmeth's forehead, and says, Son, thou art welcome. Emmeth says, Alas, Lord, I am no son of thine, but the servant of Tash. I have been seeking him all my days. Aslan says to him, Beloved, unless thy desire had been for me, thou wouldst not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. And this, says Emmeth, when he relays the story later, this is the marvel of marvels, that he calls me beloved, me who am but as a dog. And Emmeth continues onward in that bright, glorious place of wide open spaces, further up and further in. We don't know what happens after death. We don't know how God might appear to each person, calling them to give an account of their life. Lewis has helped us imagine what such an encounter might be like, but his stories are, of course, make-believe. Although they are based on truths that Lewis finds embedded in his Christian faith. And I think the truth that he is drawing on in this story of the Calermine soldier is the truth that is uttered by Jesus to the, cross, or to the thief on the cross next to him. The truth that the mercy of God is wide. It isn't a meaningless mercy. It isn't an anything goes mercy. But it is a wide mercy. A mercy that says, no matter what you have done, 
no matter what your life has looked like before, all you need to do is turn to Jesus. And the minute you do that, the minute you recognize Jesus for who Jesus is, paradise is yours. Because paradise isn't just a place we all hope to go to one day. Paradise, says Will Williman, is whenever, wherever you are with Jesus. To be sure, he continues, we expect that that relationship will be deeper, richer, and more full once we have passed beyond the frustrations and limitations of this present mortal life. But that does not mean that that relationship does not begin here, now. The Christian faith is our participation now, today, in paradise. Because Christ has entered his kingdom. He heralded the arrival of his kingdom when he came to earth as a baby. He secured forever the victory of his kingdom when he died on a cross. And it is a kingdom not of fortresses and walls and heavy gates, but a kingdom of mercy that is wider than the sea, a kingdom of grace that goes beyond our understanding, a kingdom whose king calls us beloved, though we are but as a dog. And because the kingdom is here now, we don't have to wait until the moment of our death to cry out, Jesus, remember me. This is not simply our plea at the end of life, but whenever we have come to the end of our rope and see no way forward. When we fear that we have caused so much hurt that there could not possibly be forgiveness. When we have wrapped ourselves up in a lie and we don't know how to unravel the web. When our shame lies across our shoulders like a heavy, wet, woolen coat. We may be tempted in those moments to hide behind our defenses. The very web that entangles us becomes our lair. The heavy coat becomes our chain of armor. It is safer to remain behind walls that are at least familiar to us. But while these fortresses may offer us some protection, they come at the price of our freedom. Freedom from shame, freedom from fear, freedom from lies. That comes when we turn to Jesus. When we cast aside our defenses and open ourselves wide to Jesus, casting ourselves upon his mercy and say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Then we hear the words we have all longed to hear. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The kingdom of mercy is yours. So let's sing once more the song that is ours to sing in our moment of need, and the song we eagerly invite all who have not yet come to know Jesus to sing, that in turning to Jesus, 
they might recognize Jesus and be promised to the kingdom of mercy. Let's sing together. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen.